Welcome to the GUL Podcast. The New Era of Intelligence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of the Geo Owl podcast, where we host engaged conversations designed to advance the effectiveness of intelligence operations through technology, innovation, and application. We are coming to you from Signal Fire Studios in Wilmington, North Carolina, and hosting the episode with me as the facilitator is Nick Smith. Nick, welcome to Signal Fire Studios, man. Matt, thanks for having me, man. Yeah. It's great to be down here. This this building's awesome, and uh, you guys got something really cool here, so I appreciate you having me in the, the GOL podcast here in the, in the new studio Heck yeah. in downtown Wilmington. Now, I know um, most people aren't going to be seeing the aesthetics of what's going on in this building, but uh, our new studio is uh, in what's called the Cargo District, but uh, we occupy a nice little quaint corner in an old industrial uh, warehouse, and it's... An exciting place to be, and we got good air conditioning considering how hot and sticky it is outside. Uh, Nick, so you're here in our studio. We're starting a conversation um, just about all aspects of your business and uh, the expertise, the values, and the services that it brings to industry. Um, I'm just curious. I, I want to get to know first who you are, um, what your personal journey has possibly looked like. Um, and then we can kind of start diving into what GOL is today. So if, if you don't mind, um, you know, share, share with us where, where are you originally from, um, you know, kind of your upbringing, your raising, and uh, just, just kind of start the narrative from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think like uh, a lot of people that joined the military around the same time I did, um, I was living in Florida and I um, witnessed September 11th. And, uh, I just remember thinking immediately after September 11th that, you know, we had to do something that, you know, we, how we responded to that event, I knew was even as a, you know, 18, 19 year old kid, I kind of knew that was important, an important event. And then here we are 20 years later, look at, look at what's, what's, um, entailed since then. So are you originally, you're, you grew up in Florida? Yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in Florida. I was born in Michigan. My family's from Michigan. Um, but they moved down to Florida to be in the warm weather. Uh, my, my mom uh, works at the Veterans Administration, still works there. She's been working there for... What did she do? She is a dietitian at the Veterans Hospital. Um, oh, I didn't, hospital. Even that, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> it is, is, it, it is a thing. It turns out that veterans need to eat. Um, <laughs> and then my dad retired as a teacher, so... Um, I, I grew up there, um, near the beach. So sort of like here in Wilmington, North Carolina, right near the, the coast. And, and, um, and that's on the Gulf side, right? Yeah, it's on the Gulf side. Um, uh, specifically, uh, west of Tampa. So if you look at where Tampa's at, um, we're right on the coast there. Isn't west of Tampa the Gulf or no? Yeah. So Pinellas County, uh, which is west of Hillsborough County is, it's a little peninsula that sticks out and, um, that's where St. Petersburg is at, and is where I grew of, up in Seminole. Is, is Semi? Oh, okay. Semi- yeah. Right, right. Okay, I know actually know right where that is because I forgot I actually have a, a, a close friend that lives in Seminole, and that's actually a really cool area. Like, yeah, it's great. I've only been to Tampa once, and you know, you cross that long bridge mm-hmm. to go to Seminole, and um, yeah, the Howard Franklin. Yeah, it's, that's what the name of the bridge is. It's the Howard Franklin Bridge. Yes, it's one of the largest land bridges in in, in the country. 
How long is it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly. I just know that people always say it's the longest land bridge. I just a- know I've always known it as the thing that feeds traffic in Almerton and causes a lifetime of traffic and congestion. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, seven mile bridge in the Keys. That's that's got to be longer, right? That's probably longer. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that one's probably <laughs> much longer than Howard Franklin. All right. So you, you grew up in the Tampa area. Mom retired or still with the VA. Your dad was a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. Are you are you an only child? No, I have uh, two brothers. Um, I'm the middle child. Um, uh, my older brother, Nathan, um, still lives in Largo, Florida, which is kind of in the same area. And he's a successful entrepreneur, runs multiple businesses, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And then uh, uh, my little brother uh, lives in, Saint, in the St. Pete area. And, um, you know, he, he, he does a lot of manufacturing and things like that. Okay. So, um, and you're the only veteran. I'm the only veteran. Yes. Uh, Neither your parents were served. Well, I'm the only veteran of the of the children. My my dad did serve in the on the Air Force, um, the Air National Guard. Um, you know, in his in his youth. Right. So right. I'm not the only veteran in the family, but. Um, so okay, so so you grew up in in beautiful coastal uh, Gulf Coast, Florida. You were were you out of had you graduated high school when 9/11 happened? Yeah, so I was I graduated high school, and um, I think like a lot of people that age, right, 18 years old, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I just went to community college. And I remember sitting in community college, and I looked around like, man, these are a lot of the same people I was just in high school with. And right. you know, a- anyways. Um, what year uh, did you graduate, by the way? 2001. God, you're yeah, 2001. dating me. So tell me this. Do you remember your class song? No. Like, did you have one? No, like, I don't remember that. No. So I graduated in 98, <laughs> and my class song was Green Day's Time of Your Life. Yeah, you're old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you. I by am. At least three. Uh, that's actually the year my older brother graduated, so there you go. Oh, you're um, a good company. He's a good man. Yeah, he's a great <laughs> man. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so, so you're at Community College. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, your, your transition from high school and immediately following seems very similar to mine. So I have, an, mm-hmm. I, have an, I have an appreciation for kind of how you're describing what your life was like then. Um, well, I mean, when I talk to other veterans, I mean, it's, it's a very similar story. I mean, for people my age, you know, the impact of that day was massive in terms of what it meant to serve in the military. And, um, you know, so many people I've talked to over the years, very similar story to, to mine. And, uh, I think that's a good thing and that, you know, not, not the only one, right? Not, we're not alone in this. And um, the veteran community is pretty, pretty strong, especially here in Wilmington. Um, right. Uh, so it's always good to have that kind of same lineage. So, so I'm just curious, where, where were you exactly on 9-11? I was at school at, at the St. Pete Community College um, in the main library. And I remember... I remember seeing it on TV and just going, what is this? I don't, I don't even, you know, it was very confusing. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. And then I went home, um, <coughs> I was still staying at my parents' house. And I remember just watching in the living room going, this is crazy. This is, I've never seen anything like this, you know. Um, so it was definitely a, something that impacted my, my decision to, to join the military, um, 
So, so 9-11 happens. It has obviously a profound impact on you as it did for everybody in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did those observations, those experiences dictate your next step, your next move? Like, was it immediate? Was it something yeah. that weighed on you for a day, a couple of weeks? Like, what, what did that process look like when it, it pushed mm-hmm. you over the edge to pull the trigger and make a decision? Yeah, so I'd, I had thought about joining the military already at that point. Um, like I said, I was in community college looking around. I was like, yeah, this is kind of – I kind of just did this in right. high school. So um, so I was already thinking about it. I was already talking with recruiters. But once that happened, that was it. I was like, I'm, this is – there's something here that needs to ha- – you know, that needs to be done. There's work to do here. Um, so that really solidified my, my vision and direction for what – um, what I wanted to do uh, in terms of military service. Did you have any idea what specifically you wanted to do in the military or what branch you wanted to go into? So uh, I scored high enough on the ASFAB to select an intelligence uh, You don't say. <laughs> career, which was <laughs> very fortunate because my dumb 18-year-old brain was thinking, oh, you know, I want to go carry guns and shoot people. But um, I think, you know, my... Uh, my smarter brain somewhere along the decision-making tree said, you know what, you should probably pick something that might have more applicability after you get out of service. So I picked, uh, which was then 96 Delta. It's now called a 35 Golf, a geospatial intelligence analyst. Um, and the way it was explained to me at the time was, yeah, you look at you look at satellites. And I was like, well, okay, that sounds great. Let's do that. Um, and then uh, when I was selecting the, the the MOS they said oh do you want to jump out of airplanes I'm like yes <laughs> duh what I do mean, you think airplanes are made why even for? bother asking I mean <laughs> just put it down I want that right um, so I was fortunate enough to be an airborne 96 Delta which is a satellite imagery analyst slash geospatial intelligence analyst now you and I have talked about this before and it was very I guess humbling for me. Because you just were indicating you had this like internal voice that was like, but maybe I should do something that could be more fruitful in the long run. I didn't have that Jimmy Cricket sitting on my shoulder. Yeah. I was I was <laughs> just that idiot that was like, no, give me a gun and let's let me go do. Yeah. You know, when you're 18, it's just like it's so nos- like nostalgic and just nothing is better than being right. a ground pounder. And then you, and then you get there and you're like, oh wow, this is so so. <laughs> yeah. It's humbling to hear people like you that had the you know the wherewithal to, to make a decision that was, I don't know, more impactful strategically. Um, all right, so they offer you, so you, you score high enough on the ASVAB to be a geospatial intelligence analyst. They offer you airborne. Um, so, so what did that process look like? You, you know, when did you enter the Army? Yeah, so there was a few months there when I went through the uh, like a pre-enlistment period uh, where they teach you preliminary military skills like marching and, and whatnot. So uh, I participated in that program. And then um, I think it's called the Delayed Entry Program at the time. That's what it was called. Yeah, DEP, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I did that. And then um, in February, I got shipped off to uh, to basic training. And where was that? In Fort Jackson, otherwise known amongst the Army as Relaxin Jackson. <laughs> where is that? It's in uh, South Carolina near Columbia. So what was the weather like when you were there? Was it hot and muggy? Well, I was there in the in the winter, so it oh, was so cold. Um, I would prefer that over like 
I'll Hot take the cold any day. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, especially when you're outside most of the time. You know, you can always put more stuff on. But yeah. when it's hot and you're marching outside with all that equipment on, no thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, so Fort Jackson, relaxing Jackson. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it considered like a more cush environment for basic training? Or? Yeah, that's what everybody says, that they go to the other basic training locations, right? Um, or if you're in the... Marine Corps or whatever. You got your right. Hollywood Marines, you know, that go to MCRD San <laughs> yeah. Diego. Which it's, it's always harder elsewhere. Wherever you're at, it's always harder at the other place, right? You know, it's just like it's the same thing that goes into, you know, thinking that the generation behind us is always weaker, right? It's like, oh, it's, they're weak over there in <laughs> Jackson. It's the same philosophy. It's There's there's no difference, you know. Right. Um, was it difficult? I don't know. I, for me, I didn't. It, w- it wasn't a difficult thing to to go through, but a lot of people had uh, struggled with it and dropped out, you know, as as they happen in basic training. But so, uh, and give me give me the time frame. So you're there in winter time. Is this like December two thousand two, um, around January February? Okay, so you're that. you're still fire. I mean, everybody. I mean, you are still jacked up, like ready to kick somebody's ass because our our nation. Yeah, just I was got, re- ready to get to work. Right, ready so, to get to work. I I I. I really would have, uh, I don't want to say wished, but having motivation like that and basic, I was, I went to boot camp in the beginning of 2000 and mm-hmm. I literally thought we were never going to see combat in my entire career. Right. And, you know, I had my struggles, but it was primarily just cause I was immature and I, I was kind of lazy. Um, but joining the military after nine, like contemporaneous to nine 11, I, I feel like that would have been just like this boost, this shot in the arm that just put fire in your rear and made you want to, you know, send there's at least a mission, right? Yeah. You know, um, not that that's a good thing given all that's occurred, but, uh, there's at least a mission. So, so, all right. So you go through basic training, um, you, you go through your schooling. What what did your schooling entail for your specific MOS? So about six months of intelligence training, um, you know, all sorts of various, um, aspects to the job and understanding how to read imagery, how to uh, understand the various components of providing intelligence, reporting, things like that. Um, a lot of time spent on learning how to identify Russian vehicles, which right. is, you know, other than the United States, Russia has the most military equipment in the world. So identifying Russian equipment is very important. So, um, like the, the, the BMPs and the, the BMPs, the, the T-60 T-7, T-70s yeah, or 62s. Right. Yeah. You got to know all that stuff. You got to know what they look like. You got to know what the, uh, what about aircraft or is this primarily terrestrial vehicles or? Yeah. Yeah. So, but also aircraft too. So tactical, what we call TAC ID. Um, you know, you learn all that stuff. I don't remember any of it, so it must not have been that important. And the equipment changes so often that it would probably wouldn't be relevant today. But and I can um, only imagine when you're going through your your MOS school, like they were probably like outdated, and they were probably trying to really figure out, dude, we need to like revolutionize because 9/11 revolutionized yeah. warfare for the United for the West. So they were just so, but when when I started training, they were just shifting away from hard copy intelligence, like working on light tables, right, looking at photographs on light tables to analyzing imagery on a computer screen. So it was kind of... So that was when they were in the process of, like, transitioning? kind of after, yeah, it's during that transition. I wouldn't, it's not like, you know, probably um, at the tail end of when they started to transition more towards computer-based 
analysis. Right. Um, so before that, it was all working on light tables and, uh, you know. <laughs> Overhead put, projectors, photo- <laughs> transparencies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know how the military does it. There's whatever's cheap, right? Whatever, right. Whatever's cheap, uh, that's what they would use. So, um, so it was an interesting time. Looking so, looking back, it was interesting, like to go through at that yeah. at that period. So did did so, would, as an analyst, your MOS didn't entail like like operating aerial vehicles or satellites no. or anything. No. And I mean, because I, I know nothing. Most people know nothing yeah, yeah. about that job. So as a um, analyst, you're providing intelligence analysis, right? So you're for us, it was analyzing um, tactical and strategic aerial imagery and making sense of it, telling people what's down there, you know, what type of equipment is down there, what's happening, you know, you, where are the checkpoints at, where do we need to, where do we need to um, set up tactically? Uh, so, so, I mean, you, you take what's to a layman, like an ambiguous image mm-hmm. and you digest it and you translate that information to something that's extremely t- right. tangible and hey see all that stuff yeah those are i mean you're breaking it down and simplifying it so commanders in the right. operational theater can make efficient and effective decisions right and even uh, back then you know color imagery wasn't as proliferant um so <laughs> unbelievable. um it was it was a lot of black and white, which actually gets you better, you know, in some instances, better resolution. Um, so it actually does take a trained eye to say what's down there and, and to explain that. And of course, there's different types of imagery. You have um, electro-optical sensors, which is what you would traditionally think of black and white, um, or sorry, color, um, but they also have black and white uh, imagery. Um, infrared, which is heat signatures, right? Um, right differentiating the, the the signatures of different um, components of what you're looking at. Um, hyperspectral, multispectral, all sorts of different types of imagery. Um, you have to make sense of that. You have to recommend what the best sensor is to use so that, you know, you can get to the right decision ultimately. Oh, man. You get me all fired up because it I was a hardcore. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> In a good way. I was a hardcore Tom Clancy like I read Tom Clancy novels, like yeah. it was going out of style, and um, I remember specifically watching the movie uh, Patriot Games. Yeah, and they were. Was that Ben Affleck? No, that no, no, no. Right. Ben Affleck came. Wait, no, this is Harrison Ford. Oh, Harrison Ford. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. You this get is, a pass. Yeah, this is way, <laughs> way, way in the back. But no, I remember at one scene they were like in Langley, and they're sitting there analyzing some satellite imagery and one of the big things they identified was that there was a female in this potential terrorist training camp. And that right. ended up being the, the, you know, that was what they needed to know. This, these are the mm-hmm. bad guys we're looking for. Um, and I remember even back then I was just like, dude, that's freaking cool. And that was like, what the early mid nineties. Yeah. Um, so that character is an imagery analyst. That okay. was his, that was his job. Yeah. I remember yeah. he was an intelligence analyst. He will specifically imagery. If I want to or imagery. Throw that you, um, well, you would I forget recognize. his name. What's the main character's name? Um, Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, Jack Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a, he's an imagery analyst and he gets obviously put. Into and he was a former intelligence officer in the Marine Corps. Right. At least and that gets, was the story. Gets put into all these crazy scenarios. It's nothing like that, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fun to 
Very cool. So, read. All right, so you, you get out. So what's it called when you finish your MOS? In the Marine Corps, we call it getting out to the fleet. What's it called in the Army? Like you get to post well, after, or? After that, I went to Airborne School, um, and then I went. Did you do that in Benning, Fort Benning? Yeah, Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, and uh, outran a bunch of Marines there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can get fat and nasty. Um, it can happen. But in, in any event, then, then I went to my unit in uh, Fort Bragg. So. I don't know we, what we called an army. We're just getting to your unit. I don't know. Yeah, checking your unit. Yeah. Um, okay, so, and then briefly just walk us through what your, your military career looked like as far as deployments, mm-hmm. um, maybe any significant events that really stood out as, um, you know, a, a pivotal moment in your life. Um, I feel like everybody who has served has one of those somewhere. But mm-hmm. what, what did your active years of service look like? Yeah, so I get to my unit after all this training, right after a year of being in training, and I'm ready to go, I'm high speed, my unit is deploying to Kuwait, right? This is during the, um, the, the entry into the Iraq war. And I'm like, okay, let's do it, let's go. And they're like, well, you don't have your security clearance yet, you know, you gotta wait on your security clearance, which what? sometimes take, takes a while. So I actually ended up doing gate guard at Fort Bragg while my units in Kuwait deployed um, doing the work that I had just trained to do, and I'm, oh my gosh, I'm there in, at Fort Bragg guarding the gate, um, checking IDs and doing wow, that's vehicle gnarly. inspections. Um, so that was pretty awful. But uh, um, aside from that, you know, um, you know, the rest of it was fine. I, they, my unit came back, and then not too long later, we deployed um, to Iraq, and that was obviously in, in terms of my active duty career. That was the the most interesting thing that I did, I, I guess you could say. Um, so where, where where were you? So when were you in Iraq? Uh, two thousand four, two thousand five, basically. And whereabouts were you thing. in Iraq? Uh, Baghdad, um, Camp Victory, primarily. Um, that now that's not the green zone, correct? Or or is it's it inside? I it is. It is in the green, green zone. zone. I I was I was there for the invasion, and that was it. So. Mm-hmm. All the dude, I was at Fob Zone, so I'm like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't. We know had our MREs and bullets. That's all. We had. <laughs> yeah, we had computers. You know, we're, right? We're nerds, uh, but we actually got to work out of the Al Fa Palace in Baghdad. So really, it was pretty neat. So we worked out of one of Saddam's palaces. Uh, he was actually being held captive in the on the base while we were there. Um, Do you ever see him? No, I never saw him. No. Been a whole lot cool if you did. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I'll get over it somehow. Um, so, what did your day to day routine look like when you were deployed as an uh, as a you know an imagery analyst? What, what did that look like? You know, I wish I could make it sound really glamorous and stuff, but um, what it consisted of a lot was um, receiving requests for information from different components, um, and so we'd get a request like, "Hey, we have a cell phone." Uh, registered in this area, you know, what do you see down there? <laughs> so, so for us, we're like scrambling, looking at um, satellite imagery, trying to look at this four mile radius ellipse of and tell people what's down there. So, so we did, so these we did ima- a lot of requests for information. So th- those are very, you know, on a case by case basis of what, what you're providing. Um, How old was this imagery that you're looking at? Typically. Oh, it was the same day or, or the day before, okay. you know. So you pull down the most recent imagery. And and who, I mean, obviously, from a high unclassified perspective, what who is actually operating these satellites? Is it the DOD? Is it like NSA? I mean, 
I don't know. Uh, well, the National Reconnaissance Office is responsible for national reconnaissance. Um, today, there's probably even a, a broader mix of who operates the satellites with the um, all the stuff happening in space right now. But but back then, the NRO was basically the go-to. Um, I've never even heard of that. The National Reconnaissance Office? Well, I, I should know that. It was Reconnaissance <laughs> Marine, but I don't know. Well, it's quite a different type of reconnaissance. Right. Um, but, yeah, so they're responsible. And then we, we would put in collection taskings through NRO to collect imagery. Basically, everyone's vying for time on a, on, on a vehicle, the satellite moving through space, and everyone's trying to get access to the camera, the high-powered camera on that. And uh, we would have to put in our requests to be provided so that we could look at the imagery and tell people what's down there. What do they do? They, they like set up a Dropbox and like email you a link. Saying it's just like that. <laughs> well, back in 2000, uh, four or five, four, 2005, there wasn't really Dropbox either. So, right. um, you know, much slower processes for that. Yeah. But I mean, things were slow back then. I mean, slow, super slow. You'd wait all day to get one image. And once it got in, then you're like, okay, let's get to work. Right. So a lot of time spent waiting on images to to download, and then of course you're you're in Iraq, so it's not like you have crazy gigabit line there. Fiber it's, optic, <laughs> right? And you're using broadband. military equipment set up by our super awesome maintainers to um, bring in the imagery, and you know be sitting there all day waiting for. <laughs> an was image technology was that like a constant struggle in oh, 405? Big time. Um, it still it still is, but for different reasons. Right now, it's almost like you have too much data, and it's like, oh, okay, how do I what do I do with all this now? Back then, it was like you're just waiting on the one thing that you know you needed. Right now, it's I have so many options. I can go in eighty different directions. How do I wrangle all this? How do I make sense of it? Um, I mean, when Google Earth came out, like I mean, what was that? Twelve plus. I mean, when Google Earth came out, mm-hmm. I I thought it was the most mind blowing thing. It's like you mean that I can access you know, fairly poor resolution, but I can access aerial imagery of anywhere right. in the world. And it, that blew my mind. It yeah. was fascinating. And now it's, you know, it's everyday technology that our kids are using. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's definitely interesting. And if you ever read on the origins of Google Earth, that's pretty interesting too. It was called the Keyhole Program. That might be uh, a great episode. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay, so... So fast forward from 04 to 05, um, did, did you redeploy to Iraq at any point or, um, you know, did you have any other deployments? I, mean, I was there for a year and then, and then basically I was at the end of my enlistment and I decided to come to Wilmington, North Carolina to go to UNCW and get a degree in psychology, which I don't use. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I thought with a security clearance and a degree in psychology, I'd be able to get any job I wanted, but that wasn't the case. Um, so after, after I finished school here, which was a great time, if you're looking for a school, UNCW is a fantastic place to go to school. I concur. Um, after I finished school, I went to Florida and back and worked with my brother. I talked about how he's an entrepreneur. And at the time he had started a mixed martial arts promotion, a professional, uh, fighting. The art uh, of fighting. Yeah, right? it was called the art of fighting. That's right. Um, one of our good family friends, um, Dave Yost was a professional MMA fighter. He had pretty popular in, in the Tampa St. Pete area. And, uh, uh, so that definitely helped, um, get it, get it up and up and running. 
And uh, so and my brother just had this really cool idea, and he ran with it, and and I helped out every way that I could. And um, now you shared some of those with me that, that yeah. are all on YouTube. I thought it was pretty freaking mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and the way you described it was art of fighting was essentially the the programming that was being played on a fight night pre pre fight. So it's essentially content that they're airing leading up until like yeah. So well, we we would do live. MMA events, just like the UFC does, um, um, throughout the state of Florida, we had a, a pre-fight show that would run throughout the state and, um, sometimes nationally, depending on where it was broadcast, um, to hype up the event, right? Right. You're going to put some content out there. It's the same thing that UFC does, same thing that Showtime Boxing, they all release their 24 sevens and all their, their programming. So we had a similar type of, um, setup, um, which was really successful uh, for the first few years there in, in the state of Florida. So um, I got a really good opportunity to learn about working with the press, working with television, working with um, uh, professional athletes. Um, it was a fantastic uh, experience, you know, a lot different than anything I'd ever done. So uh, it was kind of mixed, but I definitely got that um, a good exposure and, um, being able to work side by side with my brother every day, you know, definitely have that entrepreneurial bug rub off on me. So, right. So, uh, so, you, so you guys are growing momentum with it, with art of fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are gather, you're growing a following. You guys are having an impact and a footprint in like you mm-hmm. know your region. But then the housing market crashed, right? So okay, so not not quite. So the housing market had already crashed around this this time. So. Um, we we were hosting events all through, throughout the state. I think we had 16 professional events, which is quite a lot, plus uh, a bunch of other amateur events. And um, our marquee sponsor, our headline sponsor, was Full Tilt Poker. And if you remember, not too long ago, online poker was a big deal. It was everyone was playing Poker Stars or Full Tilt or one of these things, and they were sponsoring our events, providing you know funding for the fighters sponsoring logos in the cage, um, TV commercials. I mean, you name it. They're, they're providing a lot of our sponsorship dollars to provide these events. And something happened around that time uh, where they got busted for embezzling or something with their you money. Know, you don't say. An <laughs> online gambling company. Well, it's, well, it's crazy. What, why do you need to embezzle? You're pro- I mean, you're basically, it's a no-fail <laughs> business. You're killing it. Um, and, and you go ahead and, and, and mess it up. Um, so they get in trouble. That that sponsorship dries up. So the business becomes kind of hard to run at that point. Um, and you know, I decided that uh, you know I needed to go back into military intelligence. So um, I joined the the Army Reserves at that point and uh, got my clearance back up and running. And, and then I took a job up up north in uh, Washington D.C. Okay. It was it at that time that you started working with uh, BAE or Bay Systems? Or yeah, yeah. BAE? Yeah, BAE Systems. They're a defense contractor, one of the biggest defense contractors. Um, and your role with them was imagery analysts or intelligence? Yeah, so I was a uh, same thing, sort of geospatial intelligence analyst. I, I worked on one of their large intelligence contracts as a um, as an analyst and then eventually worked worked my way up to be like a, like a manager. Um, so I worked on there for about three and a half years, and um, you know, but I always had that entrepreneurial bug. So uh, it was only a matter of time before I 
you know, was going to go start my own company. But I uh, worked on a really, some really cool intelligence programs, um, experienced with a lot of different intelligence agencies that are, um, you know, provided some, some good opportunities for me to learn uh, the intelligence community side of the house versus just the military side of the house. So that was, it was great exposure for me oh. at that age. So, and then what, what, what was the uh, transition from working, you know, for a defense contractor to establishing your own business? At what point did that entrepreneurial itch like right. take effect and, and really drive you forward? Yeah, it was about the end of 2012. Um, I had several run-ins with some of my managers that I had disagreements with. Uh, I was working shift work. So on top of all the all of the uh, managerial tasks and stuff like that and, and working as an intelligence professional, um, you know, sometimes the management uh, from, from the company, they would ask me to come into their office or do things um, like after working night shift. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, this, this is, you can't keep this up. Um, I need to go to sleep. Yeah, so I thought there was a disconnect there between, you know, the way that they were managing the work and the way that I felt about the people doing the work. Uh, we had such a great crew of people that really cared about what they were doing. And they're working on a very highly valued program that's highly touted and was very important to um, to the U.S. government. And then, you know, so that's that's one side of the fence. And then I would go into the corporate office and they'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter who's in the seat. I, I, I specifically remember a, uh, a manager from the company telling me it didn't matter who was in the seat. And I was like, are you crazy? These are intelligence professionals. It matters heavily who's in the seat. This is the difference between a good outcome and a bad outcome. I mean, you know, sometimes people's lives are on the line, depending on what we're working on. Now, were a lot of the team members, at least at that organization, veterans? Yeah, most of them. Most of them are veterans. Um, uh, and the reason is it's the most likely way for someone to get a security clearance. So if you're working in the intelligence community, um, they do hire quite a few um, people straight out of college through intern internships and things like that. Um, but in the more specific niche fields like geospatial intelligence, they typically hire military veterans that have just been doing the job like I was. Um, so Awesome. So, so 2012, and at what point did Geo Owl actually? At what point did yeah. you say I'm starting lot, this company? A lot of people ask me how I came up with the name, um, and I remember sitting in my basement, thinking like I, I'm definitely going to do this thing. I'm definitely going to start a company, and I started looking around at the other companies that existed. And if you look in this in this market in the uh, the defense industry, um, a lot of the companies are like. ABC technologies or GXY solutions or TLG systems. I mean, you see where I'm going with this. Yeah. Everybody is three-letter acronym systems or technology or solutions. Lame, boring. Yeah. So I wanted to have something that was uh, representative of, of course, what we do um, as geospatial intelligence professionals, um, but also represent a brand that you can market and promote and that people remember. Um, so as a, someone that was recently working night shift, I know we work around the clock as intelligence professionals 
And like an, what, what stays up later than an owl? Nothing, right? So um, owls are also wise. So that, right. was, that was the other thing. And uh, so that's where I, I came up with the name Geo Owl. So Geo for geospatial and then owl for, um, for owl. For the yeah, for smart, for wise, wise animals. Staying up all yes. night long. Yes, they know how to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop, right? So <laughs> that's ultimately what you, what you go for there. Well, Nick, this has been an exciting conversation. Um, we haven't even gotten a chance to like really dive into Geo Owl because we're out of time. Um, but your, your personal journey was awesome. I appreciate you sharing it with, with everybody. Um, next episode, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be diving into Geo Owl, what it is, where it came from, where it's been, and where it's going. Nick, do you have any parting words for this first episode of the Geo Owl podcast? No, um, not really. <laughs> happy happy to talk further about it but i think uh like so many people um in my generation you know i was i was very fortunate to have good parents and a good family um that pointed me in the right direction and um you know i think anything i've accomplished has been because of that you know um um so it's really cool to be here and, and talking about something so many years later that, that I created. So, Heck yeah. Uh, Heck yeah. So you're, you're, cool. your parents did it right. So the weight's on your shoulders now to, to replicate yes. their actions. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we're out of time. Uh, we will see you next time on the Geo Owl podcast and have a great evening. Visit geoowl.com and learn how GeoAL implements next-generation intelligence advancement technologies to aid the Department of Defense with precision and expertise analysis. <laughs> GeoAL. The new era of intelligence.